Great. Ben's going to come and speak to us now. So we're in a series. We've been looking through the, um, the book of Acts this term. And um, Ben's taking us to Acts 27 and particularly applying that to the workplace. And um, I've always been very inspired by Ben and the way he, he navigates his work, which at times is very challenging. And uh, But he's always... I, I love the way he walks that walk with God and uh, embraces those difficulties and those challenges, looking to God for the solutions. So I think we're going to get some rich teaching this morning. So Lord, we pray that, um, that you speak to us through Ben. You inspire us. We're conscious that we're your church, that you're building and you're, you're shaping as uh, to bring your solutions to the problems of the world. We're the, we're the people through which your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We partner with you in seeing your reality established on earth, your design come. There's a lot in the world that isn't as you would want it. It's not your will, a lot of what happens on earth. But we here, we're here to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to partner with you in seeing that happen. And help us, and uh, particularly in our workplaces, whether that's our homes, local communities, a nine to five, or volunteering stuff we do, whatever it is. We pray you speak to us and inspire us today. Amen. Morning. Um, I'm going to need this microphone because I've lost my voice this week. Uh, It's coming back, but not quite back there. So I'm sounding a bit more husky than normal. So um, Acts 27, the storm and the shipwreck, very dramatic. Um, Just as a brief, very, very brief recap. Acts, this is a series on Acts, we're coming to the end of that series, it's been going since September. Acts is a book in the New Testament written by Luke, it's meant to be read as a two-volume work, Luke and Acts, he wrote both of uh, those books, and it's in Acts is continuing the story of Jesus into the life of the church, so that's the focus in Acts. And also a reminder of Chris's overview of the series at the very beginning, he talked about the three lenses that we should be looking at. Uh, in the book of Acts, which was about prayer, power, and mission, uh, witnessing. So just to to be mindful of that as we're looking at this book. But um, I love Acts. It's a book of action. Um, If it was a movie or a genre, movie genre, it would be an action movie. It's a sort of, um, he's a very dramatic writer. As we read through this chapter, you'll see it, it doesn't need much explaining. It's just pow, 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 and um, he's a sort of Steven Spielberg of biblical writers, and uh, so it's very exciting, the book, and this is a particularly exciting chapter, and uh, as a good movie director, he he has some main characters, and he focuses on their deeds and what they're doing, and so you're drawn into the story through through those characters. So, the storm and the shipwreck, can I just ask, has anyone here actually been in, at sea, in a storm? before yeah it's seriously squeaky pants territory isn't it i mean it's it's it is pretty horrific um i've been once before uh i've done one sailing trip in scotland uh, a few years ago and we had several days where it was very flat very still uh, almost definitely definitely still and silent um and then to one day gale force winds whipped up we had a gale force nine and we're on this boat, um, it's probably about 30 foot boat, but we felt like, I felt like we were minuscule compared to the waves around us as we were sort of, when you're in the sort of, uh, 
the bottom and then up to the top. It's absolutely terrifying. And the skipper on this boat, a friend called Callum, uh, some of you may know, um, he'd been sailing his whole life. He was absolutely in his element, while the rest of us were completely freaking out. Um, I remember going, the thing you should never do is go down below deck when you're in a storm. And the moment I went in, it was like being drunk. And there was this one poor, poor soul sitting there, and he literally, I've never seen this, he went, he was green. He was actually green, vomiting up uh, underneath. So I sort of came up, a couple of friends, uh, Sam uh, Farmer and Emma Maitland Crew, again, ex-hopers, they decided to just put themselves inside the sail bag and attach themselves on the deck and were sort of rolling around. <laughs> um, so anyway, we were, all, we were all sort of freaking out. And Callum could see this. He's very experienced. The way to stop seasickness and people doing stupid things is to distract them. So he said to me, Ben, can you take the helm, please? Here's the steering wheel. I was like, what? I don't know how to sail a boat. Um, I was here just as a pleasure cruise, you know. And so I'm holding this thing. And, of course, it made not a jot of difference to what was going to happen. But it made me feel like I you know, was doing something. And it also makes you look out to sea. And so I was not being sick. And then Martin Sturgeon, some people know him. He's a colonel in the army. Um, Callum said to him, Martin, can you sing us a song? So I to get everyone going with a song. And if you know Martin, he's, um, he's in the Royal Engineers. And the only song that came to his mind was Hurrah for the CRE, which was the commander of the Royal Engineers. Now, it's not a very well-known song, but we were there singing in this massive storm, holding the steering wheel, singing Hurrah for the CRE. And uh, it was horrific. But that lasted two to three hours. That was just two to three hours we were in that storm. In Acts 27, they are in a storm for two weeks. Can you imagine that? So... I'm just going to ping through this. I'm going to read it sort of fairly sort of um, uh, at a pacey rate uh, just so we get through it. But context for this is Paul, he's on three missionary journeys. He's now prisoner. He's just faced trial where he's appealed to Caesar in Rome, which is his right as a Roman citizen. And so he's sent to Rome from Caesarea, which is on the map just up from Jerusalem on the coast. Um, So off it goes. Paul sails for Rome. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Blah, 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 blah. Then details lots of different stops along the way. Jumping forward. We had lost a lot of time. Where am I going here? Oh, yes, sorry. The weather was becoming dangerous. Um, I've highlighted in red here the bits where Paul is speaking to the people on the boat. Just this, this three times he speaks in this, in this uh, chapter. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fairhavens was an exposed harbour, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbour with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it, so they pulled up the anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather, but the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island, blew us out to sea. I mean, see the drama in his writing. 
The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Corda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. And then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. I mean, this is really dramatic. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. That's a helpful thing to say. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For the last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, that's the two weeks in the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured it again. It was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. So they listened to him that time, which is amazing. He's a prisoner on that boat. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. He said, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks broke a piece off and ate it and then everyone was encouraged and began to eat all 276 of us who were on board after eating the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard when morning dawned they didn't recognize the coastline but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could go to shore by running the ship aground so they cut off the anchors left them in the sea lowered the rudders raised the foresail and headed towards shore but they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too the bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart Now, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. I've seen that in many um, Hollywood movies. Um, But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. And then he ordered all all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the others held onto the planks or debris for the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Now, I've deliberately whipped through that. Um, But boom, shipwreck at the very end there. And they landed on Malta, which is where they stayed for three months. So, um, a key feature, distinctive feature of Luke's writing is his use of parallelism, both on a large and small scale. So he draws parallels between the main characters in Acts, between the characters and the life of Jesus, particularly, and other biblical characters. And he's designed, really, to demonstrate how Jesus' life, which is detailed in Luke, is then seen in his followers' lives in the book of Acts. Um, And I'm hoping that um, we can draw some connections with our own lives through this. So obvious parallel in Luke was Luke 8, which is where Jesus is asleep in the storm. And all his disciples freak out and he wakes up, rebukes the storm. uh, Where he's he's authoritative and not fearful. Um, I see a parallel with Joseph and Daniel, Old Testament characters here. 
Paul is a prisoner who goes on to become the leader in the situation. So Paul really emerges as a hero. He brings peace, encouragement, and direction. And um, he speaks out three times during it. We've seen that. I highlight those in red. But the first time he speaks, saying it's all gloomy, we're all going to be, it's all doomed, they ignore him. But the second time, he brings uh, encouragement, um, calm. It says, it's going to be okay. God's spoken to me. We're going to be okay. And then the third time, I think quite extraordinary, he contradicts the sailors, who are the people running the boats, and the soldiers listen to him rather than the sailors. <clears throat> so, um, one last parallel, just to mention, is a parallel with um, Matthew, in Matthew 14, where uh, 22 to 36, where Jesus walks on water and Peter's called out into the boat, out onto a walk on the water in the storm. Um, not going to repeat that passage. In fact, Rebecca talked about it last week in her talk with an illustration of how Jesus has spoken to her in the midst of a storm. But as I was preparing for this talk this week, I, ca- I came across um, a note in my Bible. Here's the note uh, from 2001, believe it or not, from Annie Crawley which had exactly that passage, Matthew 14, 22 to 36. And with a note from it where she said, Ben, keep praying and don't give up. Um, now, I've returned to that. I found that piece of paper multiple times over the last 18, 19 years. And it's really interesting as I was reflecting on it that in 2001, I think the way I would have interpreted that was if you're going through a difficult situation do this thing called prayer where I sort of say, uh, God, can you help me? Sort of slightly into a void and then hoping that something would happen. But I think over the last uh, how many years, having been through quite a few storms, if you use that uh, analogy in life, um, what that means to me now is much more keep connected to God, keep talking to him, maintaining intimacy with him and importantly, being real with him. So telling him what I've... I'm now much more in the habit of telling him what I'm actually scared of, what I'm frustrated about, what I'm angry about, um, occasionally swearing at him, um, telling him what I'm actually hopeful about. And realize he actually can handle all of that. He's not sort of, you know, um, fragile in any way at all. And actually it leads to a real... being real and connected. And that is what I found helpful to navigate through uh, difficult times, is connectedness. Because um, that, that reality of God in your life is what will stabilize you. Um, but often when we're under pressure, we can disconnect from God. Um, there's a story of a, a, a patient I saw many years ago when I was training for cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, as my first go at it. And this lady was, was quite severely depressed, and underlying it all was a real perfectionism she had as a character trait, um, which was a way of really controlling the world around her, because she was actually quite fearful and anxious underneath it all. And CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is really a way of challenging thinking and behaviors, and it had been helpful. It had uh, some positive effect, but she... Um, her, she had a really significant breakthrough. I remember it very, very well because she she bounded in one time 
to see me and was really smiling and happy and she'd never been like that before. And she'd been on a holiday with her family and she'd taken her kids on a canoeing trip uh, and she fell out of the canoe and she completely freaked out in this rapids going down. But she didn't die and she made it through and she said, you know, I would never have chosen to come out of the canoe but being forced out of it, I suddenly realised the world didn't end and uh, the joy, freedom, and she said an inner security came through from this incident, which was quite striking. And I think, I think it is really true that in sometimes in order to really know God's security, we have to be chucked out of a boat. It's interesting, Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. But I think using it as a metaphor in our life, sometimes there are situations which do just deconstruct everything that we like or know around us. And um, when you've been through a storm and another storm and another storm and you've been shipwrecked again and again, you end up with a growing security in him. So when you face your next ones, and they will keep coming because that's life, you go in with a different perspective. So I know I've shown this before, but this is is my alarm system at work, which I keep saying always makes me chuckle. Uh, Kingdom security, security as it should be. Um, so back to Paul he wasn't just able to keep his head in the situation but he was also able to bring peace and encouragement and, and I think that's really for two reasons he had a lot of insight and wisdom he, he has actually been through quite a few storms and shipwrecks before he says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 25 three times I was shipwrecked and once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea that's like that lady fell off the, the cruise liner, wasn't she? She did that. That sounds horrendous. But he wrote that before he had this shipwreck. So we know that he's, he's, he's uh, been there, done that. But also God had spoken to him. And he knew and trusted God's voice. So in Acts 23, God has already said to him, you're going to go to Rome. So he knows he's going to get there. And then he says in the Acts 27, God, an angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, you will stand trial before Caesar. So he'd heard and he listened to that and he trusted in it. So I'm going to finish with two brief stories of um, metaphorical storms and shipwrecks that I've faced in my workplace. Um, first was a few years ago, I was working in a research unit in, in Bristol, had about 25, 30 people working in it. And in the morning, I was a sort of normal day going off. I mean, a research unit isn't the most exciting places. Uh, not much happens. Uh, not much conversation happens, quite frankly, uh, in the office. Um, but so I was going off to work. And that morning, I'd felt God's highlight uh, in the time in the morning, Psalm 91. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but it's all about God, you know, resting in God, being, in, being protected by him. And... Um, the particular verse that stood out was, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes. I thought, what the heck is that about? I said to Joe, what the heck is that about? It makes me nervous. Um, anyway, I arrived, at, I arrived at work and the storm hit. Immediately I walked through the door. Uh, there's people crying in the lifts, sobbing, devastated. And I, re- I thought someone died. That's, it was that sort of response. It was really awful. 
and discover that after 20, more than 20 years, the unit that I was working in, and many of these people had worked in it for that time, was moving to London. And everyone either had to find a new job or they were welcome to move to London in the new unit, which explained why they were all so upset, because their lives are here. Now, I was at the time in the middle of, the middle of a PhD. I was running three large research projects. Absolutely no way I could just stop. But at the same time, I couldn't leave Bristol. I got married the previous year, just, stepped, just, just started being an elder here at the time. And we just started a business, a cafe restaurant in Stokes Croft with a friend of mine, Sassy's Kitchen, as some may remember. Like, what the heck? Um, anyway, so I was called in to see my, into my boss's office, sort of shaking. And for him, him to tell me the news that everyone had to go to, or had to leave or go to London, everyone except me. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're, you're my role and only mine required me still to be based in Bristol because of the nature of the projects I was working on. And it was at that moment that verse popped back into my head again. You know, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. I know that's a military analogy, but it was like that. They were all falling. Everyone was sort of devastated. But it will not come near you. And it's just an example of where God speaks and then it's your anchor as you're going into that situation. Second and last story really is, is about the clinical services I've worked in uh, over the last few years. I'm a medical doctor. I've worked in the NHS for over 20 years. Um, but anyone who's a public sector worker here will know the last decade has been the era of austerity and unrelenting cuts. And that's just a reality from the crash in 2008. Um, and it is really tough working in a contracting and declining, resource-declining system and trying to do your best. It's really, really hard. Uh, and this is your teachers, police, other public sector workers particularly. But in fact, private sector is not immune to this. Every, everybody has been affected by this. Um, and for me, that storm is just cuts, threats of cuts, threats of closure, threats of unemployment again and again and again. Um, and the other thing that's been really tough is watching so many colleagues leave, have had enough, and they go. And you're left, you know, ones also left behind. It's really tough because you're still trying to keep it going. But it's like that, the, the life of Brian, the Monty Python, where your the, the legs chopped off and then the other legs chopped off. And you're like, oh, come on then. Uh, and uh, it, it feels a bit like that. And I've looked at jobs in New Zealand where there's beautiful beaches, half the work, twice the pay, very seductive. Um, but have felt very clearly that God has called me, led me to work where I do, and not just just to stick at it, but to be a blessing to those around me. So I draw, the, I draw comfort from Paul's story. He wasn't just sort of surviving the shipwreck and the storm, but actually blessing those who are there with you in it and being a source of hope and encouragement and positivity. So last six or seven years, for me, it's been real... This workplace is a partnership with God. It's a journey with him where he's provided very key ingredients, whether it's strategic insight, innovative solutions, relationships, favor, open doors, strategies. Um, there have been really dark times. I, I've despaired. I've given up hope. Times I've felt abandoned. I've been really angry. Um, but the key, going back to it, is keeping connected to God. Um, because 
he doesn't change, actually, at all. And what he said doesn't change. Um, just because the circumstances might say the opposite. So that has been uh, very helpful, and particularly to support colleagues, because most of my colleagues don't view with that lens of seeing God at work. They don't see what he's doing in this city. They don't see what he's doing in our nation. And there are some I've worked with who just constantly think everything's going to the dogs. That is not true, even though it can feel like that. I'm still on this journey with God, and he's still talking to me about the next stages. So um, I'm going to finish there. But I think just my encouragement really is whether you are in a storm right now, a metaphorical storm, or whatever ones that lie ahead, and they, they do lie ahead, uh, the key thing for me is, is navigating that, is keeping connected to God through it. Thanks, Ben. So good, isn't it? And this is for this is for all of us, wherever we are, if we are whatever sort of work we do, whether we're um, unemployed, whether we're stay-at-home mum, or you know some of these things that often aren't given the right um, respect as work, which they truly are. And um, this is for all of us. We're all called to be these ministers, these priests, these people who, on behalf of Jesus, bring His light and His life into that whatever setting he's put us in. And we do that through walking closely with God through the, the storms. I'd just have to pray, love us all to pray together in a minute, but sh- I'm going to share a few words that we have that um, people have felt God say, which might speak to your particular situation. We ask God to speak to us. Uh, bananas, banana project, does that speak to anyone? So we've got a few things here. Um, a sense of terror or fear of your boss this week. God wants to set you free of their judgment. He judges you good, and no one else gets to judge you. Another one question you're asking, how am I supposed to lead or manage? I saw a picture of an orchestra conductor or a harp player plucking strings in harmony, drawing your team together uh, in their strengths, making them feel and seen and enjoyed uh, like a musical conductor. Some of us are about to get a lens change, like going to the optician. And then... Um, Feel God saying to encourage you that every choice that you make to honour me is a delight to me, delight to God. Every little kindness, every time you reach out to make positive connection, is highly valued. Do not belittle the effort you have made in you have in, you have in your workplace. You are light and life to those around you. I encourage you to speak blessing over your colleagues. Take authority in my name over the things that don't honour me. Release the opposite into the atmosphere. I delight to see you shine. You're not alone. There's an army of ordinary people around you who love me. I felt to encourage you that if you don't already pray with someone about your workplace, find someone to pray with regularly and even ask God to highlight someone to you or bring someone to you who you can pray with. Because when two or, two or, two or more agree on anything on earth, it will be done for you, says my Father. So those words, some of those words might speak to you in your particular situation. I think, could we just... Um, Pray, uh, finish by, would you be able to stand? I wonder if we, because this is all of us. And I wonder if we, if we respond to, um, what Ben brought us, um, by asking the Holy Spirit to, to minister to us further. He's been doing that already as Ben's been talking. But, um, 
as we have a moment now, let's have a moment, maybe close your eyes if that's helpful. And, and I'll pray on behalf of all of us. Lord, thank you for what Ben has brought. And will you inspire and settle in us now what you have for us in our workplace in this season, in this time. It might be that you feel God speaking to you immediately and you're thinking of situations or settings that happen sometimes. Other times it, it's a case where in a conversation over lunch or in the coming days and weeks you, you, you realize, oh gosh, something's become clear. And you almost forget that God's answered this prayer that we're praying now, that he'll show you what the situation is. But, but so God speaks to us in different ways. I'll bless you in Jesus' name to know that you are in the time and in the place. Uh, it, says in, it says in the book of Acts as well, God designs the exact times and places where people live. And, we give, and, we, and if we give our life to him, we surrender and hand our life over to him we can, we, and, and seek his will, seek his leading, we can trust that we're in his place uh, at this time. And what it, whether that's a nightmare, rough water, out of the boat moment, or it's a moment of plain sailing with a strong wind behind your back, we can walk closely with God. So I just bless you in Jesus' name. And I say over you uh, that you are, a, you are a priest, you're a minister, you're a, you're a messenger of God, you're an ambassador of Christ in your workplace, whatever that is. We resist the lies that would say that you're unimportant or insignificant or don't hear from God or you know, haven't seen this stuff work before. We just break all that in Jesus' name and say the gospel is very simple. God came to earth as a baby to live amongst us. And to put his life into us. So if you recognize those lies. Saying that you don't count in this. Or if this isn't for you. Just say I rebuke you in Jesus name. Under your breath. Just quietly snip that little tag off you. That's not who you are. And instead church. Be encouraged. Be lifted up. Holy Spirit fill us. Empower us. Inspire us. Renew our minds. Show us that you're with us. In the, gut, in the guts of who we are that we can bring your life and your hope to this world in everything that we do and everything that we are. Lord, we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Do feel free to have a seat. And, uh, and, and do, I do encourage you to pray with other people as well. You know, use this time to share about your workplace, whatever it is, and uh, do, do pray. If anyone would like some particular prayer, uh, you know, it's a particular, really, really pressing thing. We really believe in every member ministry here, so you haven't got to be prayed for by special people. It's everyone, everyone doing that for each other. But if it's a particular thing, a few of you might have a really significant weighty thing, and if you want to come and get prayed for at the front, then do, do come and gather on one of the sofas here. If it's a very particular thing for this week that you want some others to pray with you about. And it's time to collect children and we'll finish there. Um, but as always, do carry on talking, processing with God. <laughs>